We'll begin tonight's session by sitting together for 10 minutes. So allow yourself to come to a posture and put your body at ease. Had a few days to explore different ways of settling yourself. after the commotion of having dinner, possibly work meditation afterwards, and then walking, and now to collect together as a community and come into this still form of sitting together. Take a few deep breaths and release the entire day that's come before us. This again is one part of our practice, the ability to release, let go, not accumulate experiences, be intimate in the moment and then release it. Create an attitude of resting and flowing and being aware. See if you can invite your mind to be present with simple experiences like hearing, feeling body sensations, or feeling what it's like as you breathe in and out inside the body.
And while you're guiding your attention to these simple experiences of hearing body sensations and the breath, you can become aware of the state of your heart and your mind right now, moment by moment. You would know this by any emotions that are present or whether you feel particularly calm, whether it's easy to be present or your mind feels very active. While you're attending simple experiences, you also will become aware of the state of your heart and mind, different qualities that are present. See if you can include this in your self-awareness. My heart is like this, my mind is like this right now.
and another invitation to be mindful of the qualities of heart and mind that are present. Are they fairly similar to what they were five minutes ago or has there been a change? Is it easier or more difficult to be present? Is there a little more calm or restlessness? As you attend hearing body sensations of the breath, you can become aware of how the mind itself changes moment by moment as well. I'm going to talk a little more this evening about bringing mindfulness to the mind itself, what we call the mind. And sometimes we have to use two words, mind and heart, to get at what, how the mind is understood in our spiritual tradition, this Buddhist tradition. I grew up in a, in a very academic family. My parents were professors in the university. And so they, they would have said that they were enjoying the life of the mind. Um, but it was a very intellectual version of the mind. And I don't think that they were um, incredibly aware of their emotions, um, but they uh, had developed a very strong intellect and ability to analyze and read and um, argue. And <clears throat> so they would have called that a life of the mind. And it might be more of a Western interpretation of what the mind is. We're more uh, enamored with the intellect. But in this tradition that comes from, originally from India, and then more recently from Thailand, Burma, Sri Lanka, this form of Buddhism called Theravadan Buddhism. When they um, refer to the mind, often they'll touch their heart, a type of knowing that um, for them, is experienced much more down uh, in integration of the, the mind or the head experience, plus a more embodied and more emotional experience. 
So that realm, that whole realm for them is the realm of the mind. So when we talk about the mind, this tends to be what we're referring to is this integrated uh, body awareness, emotional awareness, plus some of the experiences we have um, that are more um, intellectual, the thoughts, the content of mind. And as we practice in this tradition, um, that's usually where our, the, the, um, the preponderance of the effort to cultivate happiness is cultivated in um, how we understand the mind, how we experience the mind, the mind and the heart, and how we develop it. So maybe a more conventional way of um, approaching happiness is by experiences you have by finding uh, financial security or security in family or relationship. And <clears throat> as we develop in this particular um, tradition, those things are worth cultivating. They're uh, to, to find some type of stability in the world in your relationship to the world. But one of the Buddha's um, great insights was that um, the troubles in life, the deep troubles in life, feeling troubled by life, um, actually originates in um, the qualities of heart that are present. It's a huge influence over the experience you're having. Not so, it can, it, you can be troubled by external events, for sure. But one thing that makes a big difference, whether you're suffering in those events, or whether you can meet those events, is the strength of your heart and your mind in that same experience. There's a book called the Dhammapada, which um, is a collection of the sayings that the Buddha gave. Um, he gave many types of discourses, but some of the sayings that were uh, more easily accessible were put into a smaller collection, and that collection is called the Dhammapada. And the very first chapter of the Dhammapada um, has this uh, as its English translation. This is the very first uh, stanza of that book. Mind precedes all experience. Mind is their chief. They are all mine wrought. If with an impure mind a person speaks or acts, suffering follows them like the wheel follows the foot of the ox. And the second stanza. Mind precedes all experience. Mind is their chief. They're all mind wrought. If with a pure mind a person speaks or acts, happiness follows them like a never departing shadow. So in that very first line, what he's uh, pointing at is that <clears throat> we, we take in our worldly experience through this active mind. We take it in through our eyes, our ears, through our sense of touch. Um, we perceive the world through the mind. And if the mind is in uh, an open state, if it's in a calm state, if it's in a joyous state, if there's clarity, then that's how you're perceiving the world. But if your mind is in a troubled state, you'll perceive the world and then to respond to the world out of the troubles of that heart and mind. And so uh, that our minds precede all our experience. Our minds are actually the chief of our experience. 
And that's uh, said here in this um, opening two paragraphs. And so it's where the where our practice of mindfulness will go. We're first training our minds to be present and be stable with simple things like hearing and breathing and feeling body sensations. And that's very good to bring our attention out of the turbulence of our thoughts and all the cascade of thoughts that are happening that tends to keep our mind fairly agitated. But practicing as we are here in a quiet, um, serene environment um, with simple experiences, direct experiences, the first thing we're intervening upon is upon the mind's capacity to be under a waterfall of thought, a never-ending waterfall of one thought after another. And one of the beauties about being on a long retreat like you are being on, being submerged in this, is that you actually get to see over the course of many days what it's like to um, invite your mind out of this habitual use of thinking all day long and being very active and analytical with your mind, going through events and making choices and stimulating it to what it's like to give it a little bit more space, a little bit more rest, and to see how that impacts your experience as the days go by. I was uh, on my very first retreat. I really didn't know much, very much about Buddhism, and I was just experimenting. I was 21. So I came, but I came with sort of my arms folded, and I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll try, but you're going to pretty, you're gonna have to prove yourself to me. <laughs> so I sat there and kind of listened and didn't quite know what the teachers were talking about. I really didn't know much about Buddhism. Um, so I was listening a little bit, but then I kind of thought, yeah, this is great. Um, it was a nine-day retreat. Nine days to really think. Nine days to really like get it all organized, get all my thoughts organized, and really kind of like, this is great. This is, and they like, let go of your thoughts, come back to your breath, and come back to your body. I was like, why? Why would you do that? Like, I actually want to sort these things out. And at times I would sort it out. Like, oh, this is great. It's all clear. And that happened to be a moment of clarity passing through my being. But I thought I'd finally, like, this is, you know, I finally got my, my bookshelf organized, and there it is. I understand how the world works. And then an hour later, I couldn't access it, and it would all kind of fall apart. I'd be tired and get all distracted again. So <clears throat> I was listening and practicing, trying to follow what they were saying, and um, doing what I normally did, which is think a lot. Um, and <clears throat> many things that they said the, the fir- that first retreat were kind of eye-opening because it was a new way of uh, new way of being. But this uh, one teacher said. Um, he was just on, on day four, just happened to be talking to the group. And he was sort of talking, I was half paying attention. <laughs> and he said, um, the thoughts of your parents are not your actual parents. The thoughts of your parents are not your actual parents. And then he kind of went on. But it was like uh, somebody slapped me across the face. It was just like this incredible moment. It never occurred to me my thoughts were not real experiences. My thoughts were just thoughts. And so all that relating to these thoughts as if they were real and trying to organize them and contend with them and beat them down or, or run away from them or quiet them as if they were very solid, real experiences was what I had known up to that point. I was 21 at the time. And it was a novel idea that the thoughts I were having were not necessarily realities in terms of if I thought, if I was having a pleasant thought, 
the world had not been solved because I was having pleasant thoughts about it, or the world was not in trouble because I was having troubled thoughts about it. Those, that was just the realm of my thinking. And to uh, have that insight and then start applying it was very revolutionary, very revolutionary. At the time, 21, I was in um, kind of a strong struggle of independence from my parents. And so a lot of what I was contending with inside was what do I want and what do I want with my life and what does they want and trying to sort that out. And so part of what I was doing for the first four days was um, trying to um, win old arguments and prepare for new arguments with my parents. And they're professors, so they're very smart people. Um, <laughs> but again, not so emotionally wise as they are mentally powerful with their, um, with their arguments. And so I was trying to rev it up and trying to win with these arguments in my mind and sort of a couple of days in to realize, oh, I could actually just treat these like thoughts. I don't actually have to win any of these arguments. This is just a parade of thought passing through my mind. And then when it parades through, I haven't had to wrestle with it. I haven't had to entangle myself with it. It gave me a lot more option about which thoughts were valid, which thoughts were worth entertaining, and a whole bunch of them could just pass through. It was very revolutionary. So before that insight, my, my mind, and especially my intellectual mind, was defining my world. And if strong emotion came through, that would also define my world. If I was angry, my, my, my world was angry. My world was seen through anger. And I didn't really know at the time that it was just feeling angry at the time. I would have been very defined by that anger and then having to win or lose or um, uh, get my way out of that mind state, but very entrapped by it, very colored by it. And so that was another uh, insight, is that emotions pass through. And if, you, if they're strong, or if you're not paying attention, they'll completely uh, outline the world for you temporarily. And so that was another uh, insight that's taken a long time to ripen, is that when I'm happy and the world seems, the world seems very happy, and when I'm sad, the world seems full of very sad things, and when I'm angry, the world seems very full of frustrating things, but the world is not changing radically. In my internal experience, it's changing radically by these different um, thoughts and emotions that's come, that are coming through. And without any perspective, without any mindfulness that this is happening, I am then um, completely um, entranced by whatever shape my mind is in, moment by moment, without any perspective. And we begin to, to bring in experience and bring in mindfulness to begin to know what it's like to be angry, to know what it's like to be sad, to know what it's like to be calm. And not just passively have that experience and let it define your world. And then whatever emotion or mental state comes in later, that defines you. And then you actually begin to see, oh, these are transient experiences. Each one of them, as Dory said, might have some importance and some gems. We don't want to throw them away, but we want to have perspective when anger is present, when anger is not present, when sadness is coming, when peace is present. We want to kind of know the color and the shape and the qualities of our hearts and our minds as they're happening because it's very impactful towards how we're perceiving the world. 
this was <clears throat> recommended that we uh, be mindful of our mental and emotional states. And uh, when I was first starting out, I really didn't know how to do that. I, I didn't have a lot of perspective on my emotions and mental states as they were happening. So teachers would talk about it and I would listen, but then I'd kind of forget a little bit and go back to something a little bit more tangible, like being aware of breathing or um, trying to challenge myself if I could be steady with my, being aware of my feet as I walked and my breathing. But I remember when, uh, the first time I said, they keep talking about it, I should try this. Like, I should really try it. I remember I was doing walking meditation. I mean, it's just so funny. Like, this is the first time I actually attempted to be concurrently aware of the emotions I was having. And I was like 25 at the time. I just can't believe it took me that long. I think we should start earlier with kids, like showing them uh, their emotions and letting them become uh, emotionally aware beings. So I was doing walking meditation back and forth, and I was like, yep, okay, let's try this. What emotion am I having now? What would I, how would I call this? And I was like, boy, I don't even have language for this. What is this? It's like, wow, it's kind of, I think I'm irritated. Wow, wow, I am irritated. I'm walking back and forth. And I am irritated. This is irritating. <laughs> it's like, why am I doing this? Like, it's, it's so irritating. I, and what my mind would do when it was irritated, like, let's solve the irritation. What's irritating you? Well, that person's walking way too weird. And it's just, <laughs> that person's irritating me. So I have to kind of figure out how to get that person to stop walking so weird because it's irritating me. And that's how my mind would work. And it's like, they keep saying, know that you're irritated. It's like, yep, I'm irritated by that person. <clears throat> and I would go in and I would try to like, you know, somebody's irritating me and I'm aware of it. So what should I be doing? And it's like, well, you might keep doing that to be aware of how irritation works in your mind. And I just had never really studied my own emotions and see how much they were defining my experience. But that was my very first attempt. So towards the beginning of my practice, being mindful of thoughts and how thoughts were presenting as if they were very real. And then with, a, with a, enough mindfulness, with enough perspective, seeing them as just activity, this activity of mind that I didn't have to take seriously. I had more choice around them. Then starting to be aware of emotions and mental states and it just became with the steady effort and getting a little more familiar. It's like, oh, I felt this before. This is sadness. I felt this before. This is calm. I felt this before. Oh, yeah. Joy is here. Ah, I know joy. I'm becoming more and more familiar with joy, more and more familiar with grief, and starting to actually be much more um, nuanced in my understanding of all the different emotions and mental states I'd be passing through. And then realizing... Um, how blinding it is to have all these emotions and mental states passing through us, but not know that they're happening. So <clears throat> now that I know these uh, emotions and mental states, it's really interesting to talk to somebody who doesn't actually know they're angry when they're angry. And you can be with a friend and then they get triggered and they're angry and they get very defined by that stream of anger, but they don't know that they're angry. And one of the blessings about um, uh, being in this community long enough, uh, is that a lot of my friends actually know they're angry when they're angry. And that's, you're talking to a completely different person 
if there's somebody inside who knows they're angry versus someone who doesn't know they're angry, but they're pretty angry. And they'll even like, no, I'm not angry. <laughs> That's, that person is completely taken over by whatever emotion and mental state is happening. One metaphor that worked for me um, early on when I began to see the, the, the power is like to have different emotions and mental states passing through is that I'd be practicing and if I didn't catch it, my mind would shift without really catching it. I'd be aware of my breathing, but I'd, I'd slide into sleepiness or I'd slide into irritation or I'd slide into calm without really knowing I was transitioning from one to another. But it would start to have a kind of a global impact on my, the way I was um, interpreting experience, where I was in, uh, taking in my breath or my steps or um, being on retreat. And it's as if um, someone took red cellophane um, and put it over my eyes and I was seeing through the red cellophane with no perspective. Everything would be filtered by this red cellophane. So when I was angry, everything was being filtered by this anger, but I had no, I had no awareness that I was that filtering my experience through anger or irritation. And how different it is if you just take a little pin and you poke that cellophane so it's mostly red, but there's this one white dot, that one white dot that tells you, it gives you a reference point. Oh, you really, there's a strong filter here, but there's a little perspective. That little perspective is um, incredibly important for giving us some type of reference point to know, now I'm angry, now I'm irritated. How angry, how irritated, how, uh, how peaceful, how content, how inspired am I? having some reference point in the middle of that experience. And that's gained by actually uh, asking the question and being mindful by actually practicing what emotions and mental states are present. So right here, right now, as you're listening to this talk, um, some of you might be bored by it, and you could know that. That's on you. <laughs> Some of you could be uh, entertained by it. Um, you might be experiencing calm. You might be experiencing many things. You can ask the question and you can begin to know your own hearts and minds, what qualities are present. And then a few minutes later, you could ask what qualities are present and see if there's been a shift, there's been a change. This is bringing mindfulness to the realm of the heart, to the realm of the mind, to mental states, emotional states. As Anushka was saying earlier, um, we have these uh, six sense doors. There's the five senses that we are more commonly aware of, the sight, smells, tastes, and hearing, and all the body sensations. And this tradition, this Buddhist psychology, there's a sixth category of experience, and that's the realm of the mind. And so we've been working with the two aspects of the mind today. Uh, the very beginning of the day, we started looking at thoughts, at content of mind. We call those mind objects. Bringing mindfulness to mind objects is being mindfulness to the stream of thoughts, the images, the songs inside, the inner voice, inner dialogue, an awareness of the past, an awareness of the future, 
All these are tangible products of the mind that your mind is producing. It's producing these inner thoughts, sounds, sights, senses of time, um, abstract qualities. Those are all mind objects. And there's a stream of them, just like there's a stream of sound, there's a stream of sight, there's a stream of mind objects. And that's one way we can bring mindfulness to the mind, is looking at the, the different mind objects that are happening. For the first uh, day or two of a retreat, we tend to emphasize more grounding in the body because those mind objects were so used to being swept up in them, so used to taking thoughts as real, and one leads to another, leads to another, and next thing we know we're just doing what we always do, which is being sort of entranced by whatever the mind's producing. So bringing your attention to sounds or body sensations begins to uh, weaken that um, conventional habit of mind. But then as we've done today, at times you can turn your attention back towards the mind, back towards mental activity. And the easier part of that might be looking at the actual mind objects. So getting a sense at times, my mind's really drawn to this experience of the past. My mind is, is really thinking about when I go home, my mind is, is has all this stream of thought about a letter I want to write my mom or a way I want to conduct myself in the future. So that's the stream, the mind producing uh, mind objects. So you've had many chances to experience that. Your mind, our minds have that uh, tendency to be drawn towards all of the stream of mind objects. To be aware of them is very powerful to be entranced by them is, is sort of the habit of the mind, to be more drawn in. And it's a very revolutionary act to have perspective that, again, the objects of your mind are as, as transient as sounds are. Someone coughs, someone sneezes, a door opens and closes, and there's a sound, and then it fades back into silence. Our thoughts um, one way of looking at thought is it's as transient as a sound. That particular moment is just mental activity in that moment. That's one thing you can practice. You can see if you can actually see that in your own experience. You, often you'll be uh, sitting here doing breathing meditation, for example. Your mind will be drawn into a stream of thought. And then you can turn, if you can remember, turn and say, I'm having thought as an experience. It's an experience. It's just made up of an image, a sight, a belief, and it's all kind of popping. All these thoughts are popping. And it's as if it was raining, and it's just a stream of sound. You can have a stream of thought. It's one of the ways that we train, because it's very powerful to do this, to have perspective that your current thoughts are mental activity in the moment. You can also see that thoughts are important, thoughts help us organize the world, so it's not the only stance we take, but it's one perspective that we need to develop. Your current thoughts are, on one level, mental activity, just like sounds or tingling in your hand. It's something happening in the present moment. It's good to have that perspective and to train yourself to have that perspective on thought. One image that worked um, for me, um, when I was in college, I studied a lot of physics. 
So my my mind has certain metaphors that uh, that helps it organize information. <laughs> and one way I looked at thought was a little bit like looking at uh, a diamond. And a diamond's a very hard, clear structure. And if you were to break up the diamond and look at it under a microscope, what you'd see is all the little pieces of diamond, um, even small, look like diamond. So you break it up and it's still diamond. And you break it up even smaller into a powder and you look at it very closely, it still looks like diamond. But if you look at it very, very closely, at some point, this diamond, which is so hard, begins to break apart into different carbon atoms. And at that point, diamond, which is so solid, is actually mostly empty space with these little uh, carbon atoms. So there's a point where the looking at something as solid as uh, diamond actually opens up and is made up of these little particles. So it's a, it's a radical, down at its core, diamond actually isn't hard, it's mostly empty space. When you become intimate with thought, it's the same. When we really can rest quietly and be aware of thought, be aware of the activity of thought, it's one of the radical insights that you can have, experiential insights, is that thought is just a lot of mental activity. And from that, you can actually relax in relationship to thought when you build that perspective, thought can happen. You don't need thought to stop in order to feel peaceful. You just need to be able to relate to thought as current mental activity. And that takes some training to do that, to see that thought is just made up of this buzz. One of the great parts of being on a long retreat like you are is that you're gonna gain capacity, not steady capacity hour by hour and day by day, but through the waves and development of practice, you're gonna have moments where you can actually see thought as a current experience. Whereas back home before the retreat, thought would be really real, would be very dense. <clears throat> thought and emotion have this interlocking uh, relationship where the emotions that are present tend to be the ground out of which stream a, a particular stream of thought will arise. So if your heart is in uh, an angry phase, chances are the thoughts that will arise out of it will have an angry quality. And the same way, if you actually dwell upon irritating thoughts, you can actually draw the heart and the mind into a, an emotional state of irritation. That is also an interesting thing to observe and to have insight upon, to actually see the experience that the quality of your heart and mind tends to create the stream of, uh, the, the types of streams of thoughts that are happening. It's good to see because one that's how, it's one of the ways that we get uh, entranced and sort of imprisoned is that we'll have a strong emotion. It will generate thoughts like that emotion. We'll track the thoughts, it'll reinforce the emotion. And before we know it, the thoughts and the emotions have sort of reinforced themselves. Another is that by by releasing the stream of thought that's happening, you might also be releasing whatever is driving a particular emotion. So if you're in a, a state of fear, for example, and your mind produces these fear thoughts, if you can release and relax the fear thoughts, you also are releasing what's driving some of the fear. And so it becomes a skillful intervention 
to uh, tease out the thoughts and the, the emotions and mental states that are present. <clears throat> right after the election, I was in a, I was in a cafe and it was a kind of a small cafe um, with the tables were very close to each other. And I was um, trying to finish off email before t- taking off on a trip. <clears throat> and this guy next to me, or in a table next to me, was talking to a, another woman in the cafe. And he was talking louder than most people do in a small space. But the first part of his story was really moving. So I was focusing on my work. But I couldn't help but overhear his conversation. And he was talking about just being in very hard times. Um, so at first, my my heart was sort of warm with compassion and, and you know, really... Um, taken by how hard his life experience was. But then he started talking about his political beliefs. And that's when this, there was this break because they were not my own political beliefs. Um, and sort of the, the rawness of being so close to the election um, came up. It's like everybody is raw on all sides of the equation. Nobody is having an easy time around this. Even people who feel like they've won, they're very charged, people feel like they've lost, they're very, feel very defeated. So <clears throat> in this, there was a sense of my own sort of fatigue around the, the election and all that had happened. And at first, this guy was just another human I could be compassionate towards. But then when he started talking about his political beliefs, because I wasn't being very mindful of his conversation, I was mostly focused on my work, as soon as the conversation content shifted, my mind sort of went with it. And while I was focusing on my work, the background of my mind started generating an argument and things I needed to say, I need to intervene, and, and, and this cannot stand, and this, especially in this cafe, and, and like all this stuff was brewing. And I was sort of like, like trying not to go with it. And, but as he kept talking, I wasn't really tracking it. I wasn't expecting it. Um, I was not being totally mindful of his conversation because I was being mindful of the work I was doing. But it, it slipped in, and I got swept up into this. And so, it, and while kind of uh, typing away, at some point, I felt myself couldn't focus on the work, and he was at the table right next to me. Um, and so I turned and I spoke to him. And it wasn't a mindful thing to do. I wasn't totally, <laughs> totally tracking this energy rising out of me. And that gets dangerous. That gets dangerous. You know, this was just, this was just verbal, but it was intense. And to have this, this exchange rise up out of me that I wasn't really tracking. And so I said, uh, please, this is a small cafe. It's really insensitive to bring up this much, you know, political dialogue. People have many different opinions in this cafe. So uh, just please be sensitive. And I was like, First Amendment rights, I can do whatever I want. And then I got really kind of jolted because I, I was not tracking what was happening. I was moved by this. And from this, I, I really have to double up my effort. I really have to double up my conviction that I don't want to be swept into these things, even if I think I'm right, even if I think that I'm doing the right thing by following my intuitions, I'm being swept up. I'm being swept up by events, by certain thoughts, triggering certain emotions, being swept up by them, but all the while thinking I'm, I'm seeing things clearly, 
but I wasn't. And I know, and I know better. I know better. So, even what was happening, there was a part of me that was like, "Whoops! Whoa! Whoa! <laughs> temple! Temple! Pull it back! Pull it back!" But something that had sort of started had sort of taken off, and then we had this exchange, and all this adrenaline kind of flowed, and we both quieted down. And then we separated, and there was a, we didn't actually talk. Um, and now a month later, I went to the cafe, and he was sitting across from me again. It's like, oh, now we have ca- now we have karma. <laughs> now we have a thing. And so there's that slip of mindfulness and being swept up by the emotions and by the mental content, and then it turning into action has now created a little karmic knot between he and I. That now I would I need to kind of go back in, and I don't I have to, I don't even know who he is but we're going to be in a cafe together for you know, an indefinite amount of time. <laughs> so, and I don't know when he's going to come and all that, but it's something I, that is now in the world. It, my, my stepping into that created external, an external flow, and it wasn't, it wasn't conscious. It wasn't totally conscious. So that's why I want to be careful of how easily it is to be triggered, how easily it is to have something uh, take me over, take any of us over, and be pulled by that, and, it's, and you're not conscious, you're not actually driving the car consciously, you're not driving your life at that moment, you're being swept along by reactivity. And that was a light example, but <clears throat> it's still noticeable, and I've, I've trained enough to know that um, I could have intervened earlier, and the intervention would have come at noticing I was being triggered, noticing I was starting to be swept towards something, and even though I, my attention was on my work, over any time in life really, but especially with the amount of sort of uh, political energy that's swirling through our country right now, maybe the world, it's good to be vigilant. It's good to notice when you're starting to slide in a certain direction. And that's sort of the, the anger direction. You can also be quickly taken over by fear and then fear can define your world, and before you know it, you're trying to navigate within a heart and mind that's been taken over by fear. And so to be vigilant, when that's starting to happen, notice that it's happening, notice that fear is arising, notice that fear is arising because you're having a stream of fear content in the mind. That's one of the ways that I usually catch on to whatever emotions are happening and changing within me, is the is the mind content, my mind content changes. So if I'm having peaceful mind content, and then it starts to actually become sharp and critical or fearful, that's my first indicator that something is shifting underneath. But I might not be be able to always track on that level. On retreat I can, but in daily life I track more, like, oh, my mind's really starting to like fixate on something. I better begin to explore what's this fixation about. It can be anger, it can be fear, it can also be a sense of um, really like a lot of love opening up and being drawn. It's like, oh, is this, is this actually appropriate? <laughs> the amount of love that's happening, the type of actions that want to come. I was, um, I was at a beach and um, I was sort of resting on this beach and these um, this family came and they had a, like a three-year-old and five-year-old daughter. 
And they ran right up to me and started involving me in their world and their game. Like, this is great. Wow, this, is, this never happens. This is kind of fun. And the friend I was with is like, let's just check with their parents quickly to see if this is okay with them. I was like, oh, right, right, right. That may be strange for their parents. Like, I was just tracking to make sure these kids felt safe and I was enjoying playing games with them. But more perspective, not to be swept up by this sense of joy, but having a little more wise perspective that these kids have parents and just to nod at them and get the kind of the blessing for them to play games with their kids that quickly. That's a kind of a fun thing to be swept up into, but at the same time, you're being swept up. You're being swept up by joy, swept up by love, swept up by fear, swept up by anger, swept up by grief. It's good to know when these things are happening. And the way that you get better at it is you ask the question, what's happening now? And you build your familiarity with a whole range of emotions and mental states. You can ask the question, there's sort of like a, a category of emotions. There's language about emotions, joy, sorrow, peacefulness. There are other mental states, mental qualities that you can ask, like how easy is it for me to focus? It's like, oh, for this particular sitting, I seem to be able to stay with the breath very easily. It's like, ah, easy presence. That's the type of mental quality, easy presence. And then 10 minutes later, an hour later, God, I can't even find the breath. Where is it? In all this chaos, there's supposedly a breath around. I just can't even find it. It's like, oh, this is more of a, a, a diffuse state. This is a, um, a poor concentration state. This is a um, distracted state. And you just get to know it. It's like, okay, this is what it's like to be like this. I'm going to see if I can be present, but I'm taking note. Yeah, right now, not so present. Right now, it's not so easy to be present. And then that will change. And then later on, something else will happen. So I want, uh, we want to encourage you to start asking that question, bringing your mindful attention to these different qualities of heart and mind, the emotional qualities, the mental qualities that might be more about restlessness or focus. And you won't necessarily have the language um, of emotion. And it's not something that any of us expect you to master on a retreat, on one retreat. We're looking for getting a little more insight, a little more perspective. And sometimes you have to struggle with something a little bit before you begin to know how it really works. And that struggle is not, is not useless. It's not bad practice. It's courageous attempts to bring a little more light into some place, some realm of your heart and mind that you're not so oriented to. And those initial attempts, even though you might feel like, ah, oh, I'm just not so mindful when I get, when this fear comes or when this dullness, this sleepiness comes. But over time, you can build strength and familiarity with it. On one of my first long retreats, I had so much sleepiness and so I went to my teachers like, there's so much sleep in this. And I said, well, try this, try this, try this. And none of it worked. Um, and so I said, well, at this point, you gotta be just kind of mindful of being sleepy. And it's like, how do you be mindful of being sleepy? It's like, there's not enough juice in the mind to be aware. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, 
there you've picked out a quality of sleepiness. There's not enough juice to be mindful. You are knowing sleepiness from within the experience. I was like, oh, come on, that doesn't, that doesn't work. How can I be aware of sleepiness while I'm sleepy? It's difficult. I'm like, ah, that's another quality, it's difficult. So you are knowing it. And then after a while, it, was, it got entertaining to like, there's sleepiness and like, I'm just like, going to look at a spot on the floor and then my eyes would start drifting in different directions. I'm like, wow, this is trippy. And like, I can't even get them to focus on the same thing. Like, there, they're on the same point. Ah, oh, they're splitting again. So I actually got very familiar with sleepy states and would stand up to try to keep myself awake and I'd stand on tippy toes, that brought a little more wakefulness. I'd stand on one foot sometimes because I was so sleepy. I just got to really know the realm of sleepiness. And now it's sleepiness is, again, not always a first choice, but it's no longer a realm I'm extremely um, uh, troubled by or um, unaware of. I mean, you're sleepy, you're kind of unaware, but I'm kind of aware that I'm unav- unaware. And if you saw me last night during Dory's talk, but during the first half, I had a little bit of that sort of swaying nod space. And I was kind of aware that it was happening, but it was, I was sleepy. So I couldn't be that aware. But that's as good as it gets when you're sleepy. That's what being mindfully sleepy is kind of like. <laughs> it's good. It's good practice. But it, goes in a, it can go into um, some really beautiful, really beautiful longer arc progressions of, of, of being aware and being awake. So I'd like to tell you a story about that. Um, a number of years ago, I had a very significant relationship that um, ended, and I was really surprised. It was one of the first deeply meaningful romantic relationships I was in. And when it ended, I was shocked at how much grief there was. I mean, I was sort of, it was not news to me that clinging leads to grief. But my heart really clung, and there was a tremendous amount of grief for months afterwards, and I was like, wow, I've never grieved like this before. And I'm kind of lost in it. I'm doing what I can, I'm aware of it. And all that time, I was starting to become aware of how grief worked, the stories that it told, the beliefs that it had, what it was like as, how my body felt when I was grieving. But I would have said to myself, I got like a D in conscious grieving, because I was so swept up on it, and not that aware. I was surprisingly not, a, I was surprisingly swept along by the story and the actual, um, the outpouring of what my mind was doing as it was grieving. But I learned a lot in that time. So that wasn't the time that I was most oriented, but I learned a lot. <clears throat> and then last year, um, about this time, uh, one, of my, uh, uh, one of my nieces died and she's 23, and a tremendous amount of grief and loss in my family. But what was shocking to me, equally shocking, is that the entire time I felt oriented, I, I, the grieving that happened was powerful. And I also felt swept along, but I felt swept along consciously. And I couldn't have done it um, if I hadn't gotten a D in grieving before. <laughs> which was my first attempt to really start to know how grief worked, how deep grief worked. And I was so grateful that I could grieve consciously for my niece. Um, 
because it felt like the right honoring of the fact that she had passed. And that work I'd done years earlier that I would have sort of chalked up as sort of a loss um, because I was just grieving and kind of lost in it. It was a bit of a training ground to show me how grief worked. So that when a family member uh, died, I also went on a journey of grief. But it was like I, it was like I was aware. Um, the metaphor for me is like being in a, a kayak that's flipped over in troubled water and you're just under the water versus one where you're riding rough water but you feel like you're oriented. And so all the, all the new places that your attention is going and all the new mental states that you're showing up into, whether it's sleepiness that you're having, you feel like, oh, this retreat's not working because I'm so sleepy or so irritated or there's anger, there's fear happening. Getting these little glimpses within there and getting oriented within them plays out beautifully over time because you actually start to see within anger how anger works or within grief or sadness or joy or um, elation or tranquility. You get to see how all these things work within you and you get oriented to them. You get sort of a connoisseur of your own emotional states and mental states. And then they don't hypnotize you as much. They don't define your world so much. You kind of, you you feel oriented while these things are coming and going within you. And it's uh, tremendously orienting. You're not as confusing um, as that happens. So that's just a little more encouragement for the work we've done today to know the mental objects like thoughts and inner voices and songs and concepts of time, tomorrow, and the past, and tracking that at times, building your capacity for that. And then also knowing, asking the question every now and then, what emotions are present? What language would I use to describe my emotional states? Can I see them coming and going, like rain coming down the valley? Can I see a period of sadness or happiness or tranquility pass through me? And can I actively know it while it's present? And take the time that it's present to know it. Take that time as a precious time to know sleepiness or restlessness or joy or tranquility while they're happening. And uh, become more oriented. So with that, uh, let's uh, sit together for a few moments. And that will open up the quietude of our practice for the evening the next walking period and the sitting period after that. So sitting in a way that supports your body, taking a breath in, a breath out, your hearts and minds settle a little bit. Finding those tangible grounding experiences of hearing or body sensations or the breath.
And every now and then in the stream of your experience, you can ask the question, what emotions are present? What mental states are present? A part of this stream of experience. And you can go back to sounds, body sensations in the breath. And at some point later, you can ask the same question. How about now? What emotions are present in mental states? How easy is it to be present? Is there calm or fear? You can ask these more specific questions. Increase your capacity to know your heart and your mind from within the experiences they're having. So now it's time for a walking meditation. And then when you hear the bell, it'll be time for our last sit together in about a half hour. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.